We grieve together for every mother and father, sister and brother, son and daughter who was stolen from us at the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and here in this Pennsylvania field. We honor their sacrifice by pledging to never flinch in the face of evil and to do whatever it takes to keep America safe. In the wake of the September 11th attacks, courageous Americans raced into smoke, fire, and debris in lower Manhattan, the Pentagon, and a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The whole world witnessed the might and resilience of our nation in the extraordinary men and women of the New York Fire Department and the New York Police Department. Earlier this year, we fully reauthorized the Victims Compensation Fund to the tune of billions and billions of dollars. When the World Trade Center came down, I saw something that no place on Earth could have handled more beautifully, more humanely than New York. And the cleanup started the next day, and it was the most horrific cleanup probably in the history of doing this and in construction. I was down there, and I've never seen anything like it. I've seen two huge 110-story buildings that are reduced to rubble, thousands and thousands of lives. I just got to see something that I've never seen before. I have hundreds of men inside working right now, and we're bringing down another 125 in a little while, and they've never done work like this before. We come here in the knowledge that we cannot erase the pain reverse the evil of that dark and wretched day. But we offer you all that we have, our unwavering loyalty, our undying devotion, and our eternal pledge that your loved ones will never, ever be forgotten. Well, good morning. I'm Bill Mancaro. I'm Allison Mancaro. And this is the Bill and Allison Mancaro Show. We're glad you're joining us at 9-11 on a Saturday morning, coincidentally. Oh, my gosh, it is. So we have a little different show this morning than we normally do, don't we, Allison? We do. This special 9-11 show. Yep. 20th anniversary. And that was uh, President Donald Trump, as you probably uh, recognized his voice. And there were some cuts of him... uh, in New York City, talking about seeing the devastation and having uh, several hundred of his employees uh, helping uh, people. And I thought that would be uh, appropriate. We both thought, Alice and I thought that would be appropriate for this morning. We always like to bookend our program with uh, Bible verses. Uh, so starting out this morning is Romans 8, uh, chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That was particularly appropriate for 9-11. Temperatures in the area, uh, they're in the upper 60s all over our listening area. Uh, Hill Country Patriot Radio and lower uh, uh, upper 60s, lower 70s in a few places. And expect uh, temperatures to be in the upper 80s to lower 90s again with about... They're calling a 2% chance of precipitation, which is virtually nil. Well, everybody probably remembers, uh, if they're old enough, and by the way, about 20% of the population (laughs) is not old enough to remember 9-11, because they can't remember where they were uh, 20 years ago. But uh, for those who, the other 80%, 
I think everybody remembers where they were when they first heard about it. And uh, today we're going to have some stories uh, that uh, uh, we've been told from uh, people that we know and a couple of other stories as well from people who are on Ground Zero. Uh, and I think you'll find it to be a very interesting program because it will be very different than what you will normally hear uh, anywhere else. So, Allison, uh, where were you? I know where you are. I know the answer to that question. It's a rhetorical question, but you can answer it. Normally, I would not be watching TV at, um, at that hour. Normally, I'd be at my desk. But on 9-11-2001, I had just on 9, uh, September the 10th gotten a brand-new treadmill. So I was working on my brand-new treadmill, and I had the TV on. So I actually saw uh, it was probably the second plane. Flying, flying into the second tower. Uh, I actually saw it live on TV. Like waves in the ocean undulating underneath your feet. We were on the 105th floor of Two World Trade Center, the South Tower, and a gentleman uh, from Aon Corporation came into the room, explained that there had been an explosion, that's what he called it, an explosion in the North Tower, and that we had to evacuate. That's the first chance we had to see what was going on in the North Tower, probably the worst 30 seconds of my life. Furniture and paper and people being pulled through those holes in the building and out. A few moments later, I was somewhere between 74 and 72 when the second plane plowed through our building. So we were just a few stories below the strike zone at that point and it's shaking back and forth like you can't believe as we got into the south tower a woman came to us yelling and screaming there are people trapped in the elevator and they were screaming and yelling not not just because they had just fallen 70 floors free fall 70 floors but the elevator pit below them was on fire with jet fuel and they were right above it so they were getting burned and they were trapped. I try not to think about the choices that Kagai had up there. There were over 200 people who jumped to their death. And I don't know if Kagai was one of those people or not. My gut tells me he probably was, because that was something that he could control. Well, at least they'll have a body to bury. You have this momentary feeling of finalness, okay? Like, this is it. Um, then you have that secondary feeling of no i got to keep moving we have no clue what's going on here let's keep going the uniforms that were there were just screaming at us run 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 don't stop don't stop and uh, we got across the street from the building uh, in front of saint paul's chapel and we look back and you see this unbelievable ticker tape of concrete steel and bodies right at that point was when we heard what was the clearly the the twisting steel the crumbling concrete of what once was the south tower the building that we were in the first building to go down it was unbelievable you hear this and you knew what it was and you hear the cries of hundreds of thousands of people in the streets of new york all screaming the same blood curdling scream at the same time um it's what I hear first thing in the morning and last thing at night virtually every day. Tower 2 collapsed onto the Marriott Hotel, and the Marriott Hotel collapsed around us. Pitch black, you couldn't breathe. The dust was so thick, it was caked in my ears and in my mouth. 
and I was trying to breathe. And I was on my hands and knees and I was crawling back toward the door I had come in at Liberty Street. But the building was collapsed and it was just piles and piles of steel and rubble and glass. I could not believe that for a second that I was still alive. But I wanted to get out of there as fast as I could. I wanted to save my own life so that I could help others. I came across a metal roll down gate and I put my fingers under it to raise the gate up. Fitted it up an inch or two and all these fingers came from the other side of the gate. And together we lifted the metal gate up and we escaped uh, and got out. There were 54 people in that meeting and seven of us survived, most of whom have yet to be ever formally identified. Everybody went crazy. People were throwing themselves into the Hudson River. They were running into each other and knocking into things. It was, it was insanity. I just remember looking at this chaotic scene thinking, I'm not sure we're gonna survive this. I think this might be the end. All the way in Northern Manhattan, we could see the white plume of smoke. We turn on the radio in the car, and I'll never forget the, the reporter saying they're gone. The buildings are gone. Every day, every hour down there, I got to see more and more of the loss of all the people that were there. I saw what we cannot recover, bodies, only no. body Half the people who died that day have never been identified, have never been found, right? They were, they were pulverized, right, to, to less than ash, to, to, to an extent where there wasn't even enough DNA to identify them. We have a really excellent photo, which uh, we're going to be posting online. Um, Bill, where can people go online to see it? Uh, you may have to write it down. I'll announce it a couple of times. Paper Source Online, all one word, P-A-P-E-R, Source, S-O-U-R-C-E, online.com, slash plane like airplane, P-L-A-N-E. And I'll, I'll describe the, the photo and read the uh, the, the caption on it. Um, it's a, a picture of um, my sister-in-law, my, my brother's wife, standing in front of Air Force One at um, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, September 11th, 2001, in Sarasota, Florida. And that's where you, you might remember um, President, then President George Bush was at an elementary school reading to little kids. So Air Force One was at, at Sarasota. So um, my brother and his wife were uh, there at the airport and saw the plane, and uh, Deb was taking pictures of it, and she's a great photographer, so she was taking pictures of it behind the chain-link fence. And the security guard came over and said, Oh, <laughs> come on in. You need to get a better picture. So he waved her in, and he said, go on, stand by the plane. Let me take your picture. So the picture that we have is is Deb uh, standing in front of Air Force One, 8 a.m., 9-11. Yeah, yeah, that's quite a picture. Again, it's Paper Source Online. That's paper and then S-O-U-R-C-E online.com and forward slash plane, P-L-A-N-E, if you want to take a look at that uh, exact picture. Uh, Skip and Dub. Uh, Deb were uh, uh, stuck in uh, Atlanta. Atlanta, weren't they? Atlanta, mm-hmm, for th- three, three days. 
yeah, the 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 hijackings happened while, while they were in the air uh, on the way to their connection in Atlanta. Um, by the time they got to Atlanta, of course, no planes were allowed to fly out. They couldn't get a rental car. Um, they also were not allowed to get their checked bags. So they were stuck in a hotel for three days, no clean clothes, no to- toiletries. And they put their phone chargers in check bags. So what I learned, what I learned from <laughs> yeah, that story, yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you very much, sister-in-law Deb. Yeah. I always pack, I always pack, I mean, carry on my phone charger. So a change of underwear and a t-shirt in case something happens. Yeah, exactly. And Bill flew the very first day that planes were allowed to fly out. Um, I drove him to the airport and. Do you have a story about that, Bill? Well, it, yeah, there was hardly anybody in the uh, airport, uh, so it was very unusual. And uh, I was not afraid to fly. Um, you know, this is, uh, if they're going to do something again, it's not going to be an airplane, I figured. So uh, uh, so I uh, I did take a business trip uh, that, uh, that day, the very first day that uh, planes were allowed to, to fly again. And uh, before we took off, the captain uh, came out and uh, addressed the, you know, 10 of us that were on the flight uh, and just uh, very somberly thanked us for uh, trusting them and for being on the plane. And, uh, you know, at the time I thought, well, that's very unusual. I've never had that happen before, but then I realized why he was doing it. It's the first, first day the planes were flying after 9-11. Uh, but it was, uh, was kind of weird. And uh, it was a, for a long time people were not uh, flying. Uh, very few people that I knew were willing to fly. Well, I I flew on September 11th, 2002, uh, exactly one year later, and the plane was virtually empty. Okay. One, one year one year later. Yeah. yeah. Well, preparing for the show, we asked friends who were still living in D.C. Now, uh, if you perhaps have heard us mention, we used to live in the Washington D.C. area when we worked for the federal government uh, and for Congress as well. And uh, I guess that's part of the federal government, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but 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 by that time we were living in Kerrville yeah uh well we weren't working in Kerrville we I said working. living I said we were living in Kerrville by the 9-11 not when we were working in Washington we weren't living in Kerrville right but by 9-11 we were uh we were living in Kerrville right uh but we still have uh, most of our friends living in the Washington D.C. area uh working in various capacities for the government uh, so we asked friends who were still living in D.C. at the time to share memories with us, and these are things that, that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Exactly, uh, because there are friends who just said, "Yeah, they were, they were, uh, they were there." Yeah, a uh, um, good friend of ours who was uh, a chief judge of a federal court was at a meeting at the Supreme Court, and apparently, uh, federal chief judges have meetings. I'm guessing annually. I don't really know. Uh, but for those of you who don't know, there are federal courts throughout the country. I think there are about 15 or 16 um, federal court districts a- around the country. But uh, our friend was chief judge of one of them, and they were having their meeting at the Supreme Court building. And the chief justice, who is um, uh, Rehnquist, was presiding. And our friend told us that uh, Rehnquist was slipped a message, and then another, and then another. And when he got the third message, he said, "We have to adjourn the meeting. The U.S. is under attack, and we might have, and we have reason to believe the Supreme Court, court building might be next." Yeah, 
front. And the most famous person in, uh, in D.C. to lose someone in the attacks was Ted Olson, who was the U.S. Solicitor General. And the, the U.S. Solicitor General represents the United States before the Supreme Court as the uh, uh, chief attorney, lead attorney, uh, arguing uh, for the case, uh, whatever the case may be, uh, if the United States government is involved, uh, either as the plaintiff or the defendant. Uh, he argues the case, so that's what the Solicitor General does. Uh, his wife, Barbara, uh, was on the plane. Barbara Olson, you may or may not remember, was a commentator for, was it Fox News? CNN. But CNN. But she was a conservative, believe it or not. Uh, they actually, back when they allowed yeah. conservatives on CNN. Uh, she was on the plane that took off from uh, Dulles Airport in uh, the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, and uh, the one that... Uh, uh, was involved with the Pentagon. And uh, Ted Olson says she called him twice on her cell phone to say the plane had been hijacked. And um, I know that sounds hard to believe, but for the for anybody who knows the area, the plane took off from Dulles and it crashed into the Pentagon. And that's a very short distance. So even under normal circumstances, a, a plane would not be very high up in the air. No. Uh, so, uh, she called him twice. She, he says, uh, to say the plane had been hijacked. She, she said that all the passengers and the flight personnel, including the pilots were herded to the back of the plane. And she mentioned, uh, all they had was knives and box cutters. Uh, and, uh, nine 11 was also her husband's birthday. And, uh, she had delayed her trip so she could be with him on his birthday. So that's Barbara Olson on the, the Pentagon flight. Yeah, otherwise she would have flown on, on September the 10th. Exactly. 9.28 on Saturday morning, September 11th, 2021. 20, and this is our special show on the Bill and Allison and Carol program mm-hmm. on Hill Country Patriot Radio. And uh, we are talking about memories of 9-11, most of which uh, you won't hear anywhere else because there are friends who are in D.C. Mm-hmm. and uh, and environs uh, talking about what they saw and their experiences. And we were there in, in D.C. just a month later, and we were having lunch at the Hotel Washington. It's an open-air restaurant on, on top of the hotel. It's a Washington, D.C. institution since 1918. It spectacular views. It overlooks the White House, the Treasury Building, and other D.C. landmarks. And we were actually surprised that it was still open under the circumstances, although we did see snipers on top of the building across from the White House. Um, But the table um, next to us having lunch were two National Guard members from out of town. Um, I believe they worked for AT&T, but because they were National Guard, uh, they had to leave their jobs. But they had spent the previous month, the entire month, seven days a week, looking for remains at the Pentagon. And this was their first day off in, in a month. And, and we saw, when we were there, we saw the Pentagon damage. Uh, the side of the Pentagon where it was hit faces a uh, major highway going into D.C. Yeah, so it was a big black black hole in the Pentagon. Yeah, and s- s- several of our friends, um, as Bill said, we collected stories for, from our friends, and several of them had just driven by the Pentagon just minutes before it was hit. On, on their way to work or to meetings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a friend of ours was uh, on his way to a meeting in a, a suburb of uh, D.C. in Northern Virginia, and uh, he got to the uh, 
got to the building and they were told by military officials to evacuate the building. They they went out and stood on the, uh, on the sidewalk and they were told not to gather in large groups, is, uh, is what he told us. Mm-hmm. 9.30 is the time in the morning on September 11. Do we need to take a break, Allison? Not yet. Not, not yet. yet. Yeah, and uh, another friend was um, at the Capitol Hill Club, which is uh, just across the street from um, congressional offices on, Ca- on, on Capitol Hill. And she was with a congressman, and he got a text about the, the attacks in New York. So they, they left immediately. And uh, our friend Nancy drove home. She said she was planning to throw the dogs and the cat in, car, and, in the car and get out of D.C. And this was even before the Pentagon was hit. With it. She did, but but they, they ended up not, not leaving. Yeah. So we collecting a lot of stories from our friends. Uh, that's why this is an unusual uh, program. You know, you're not going to hear this any, elsewhere except on Hill Country Patriot. Uh, and by the way, it's 931 in the morning. Uh, and we are the Hill Country Patriot at 104.3 Kerrville and Harper, 102.1 Fredericksburg and Stonewall, and of course on the web at hillcountrypatriot.com. And we welcome all of you who are listening today to our, our 9-11 show. Uh, a little different. Yeah. We have uh, friends whose two um, twin sons were attending NYU, which is New York University, and they saw one of the towers go down from their apartment. Yeah. Wow. 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 Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty shocking. Pretty shocking. Yeah. And we have another friend whose office um, was right across from the Capitol, um, and at work, uh, everybody expected the Capitol to be the next target. I, th- I think we all did, but you know, but by that time, um, so she said they scrambled, and she said leaving that area was like a scene out of an apocalypse movie. She said it was a total collapse of order. People left their cars on the streets, making roads impa- impassable. It took two hours to go half a block to leave the Capitol area. Wow. She's, She's, two hours to go half a block. Yeah, yeah. With all the uh, cars just abandoned, she said it was chill. So they just abandoned cars in the middle of the street? Yeah, apparently. Uh, she said it was chilling. She said, I will never forget how happy I was to see our fighter jets screaming overhead. Well, we'll be back in just a couple minutes. With more with more 9-11 memories. We are back. I'm Bill Mancaro with Allison, and glad to have you with us on a very special 9-11 program today. Uh, time is 9.38 in the morning, Saturday morning, and we're, again, happy you joined us uh, for our special 9-11 program. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, we uh, used to work in Washington, D.C. for a number of years. That's where we met, Allison and I, uh, mm. working for Congress and as congressional staff. 
And uh, we weren't in Washington on 9-11. We were living in Kerrville at the time, but we have a bunch of friends who, uh, who were. And so we've been, this past few days, been interviewing them and getting their stories. It, and as I mentioned, we, we were there ourselves just, just a month later, just yeah. a month after it happened. We saw the Pentagon, big hole blown in the side of the Pentagon. Uh, what I like to talk about now, though, is something related, in a way, to that. Uh, we all know what Gold Star families are. Uh, no, you, I think you should explain. A lot of some people don't. Okay. Well, Gold Star families are are the the uh, survivors of uh, people who uh, uh, died in the line of duty uh, in the military or uh, uh, while serving at the time of conflict or those of first responders. And uh, there is a children's camp uh, in our area, Bandera uh, County, Kerr County. I think, actually, technically in Kirk County, between the two. <laughs> yeah, uh, right on the line. Called Echo Hill Ranch. And uh, it is a 266-acre ranch uh, that is devoted to these kids of Gold, Gold Star families and first responder families. Uh, they foster community and connection among children and families. Uh, it's 18 miles southwest of Kerrville. Uh, and... Uh, there's, it's unique because these kids get to meet other kids who are in similar situations, and in many cases they've never met another child who's lost a parent in, uh, under those circumstances. Uh, and there's a, lifelong bonds can uh, take place. Um, the mission of Echo Hill Ranch is to provide a safe, fun, relaxing, and an empowering professional summer camp experience uh, for these children. Uh, it is completely run by volunteers. And it's remarkable, but it's completely run by volunteers uh, at Echo Hill, uh, and people who volunteer their time and their services and their their finances uh, and their skills. Uh, they have, uh, oh my gosh, they have uh, horseback riding, swimming, uh, crafts, athletics. Uh, we, Allison and I, have toured it. Uh, it's it's a marvelous place. They have cabins for the kids, of course, a dining hall. Um, and it's all child-centered. So being around people going through a very similar situation creates a connection that no other circumstance can. So it's... Uh, and, and as Bill said, it's, um, it's all um, volunteers working there. So they depend totally on, uh, on contributions. And, and it's totally free for the kids, mm-hmm. I- including their transportation to get to the camp. Yeah. The Echo Hill pays for their transportation no matter where they come from, back and forth. Uh, the housing arrangements are Western-style bunkhouses. They each have its own bathroom containing sinks, showers, and commodes, hot and cold water. The counselors live in the cabins with the children. Uh, there's nearly a mile of Bigfoot Wallace Creek, which is spring-fed tributary of the Guadalupe River. Uh, they have two swimming holes, crystal-clear waters, controlled by rock dams, and, of course, overseen by well-trained staff. There's horseback riding program. Uh, all meals are prepared on-site by certified and experienced staff. Uh, the Eat Family style. Uh, the, the staff are camping professionals with extensive experience, uh, and they're they're the program leaders. And each special activity is taught by experts. Uh, so it's a, it's really a remarkable program, but they're completely dependent on contributions uh, from people like you and me, and Allison. <laughs> uh, please go to echohill.org. O R G. It's E C H O H I L L. Echohill.org. And take a look at it. Uh, it's run by uh, uh, 
Pinky Friedman and his sister Marcy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of, they, they would be happy. Pinky. They would be happy to, to give you a tour, but just uh, contact them in advance. Absolutely. They Absolutely. they would they would love to show you around. So that's echohill.org. And that would be a personal favor from Allison for, to mm-hmm. Allison and us if you mm-hmm. would check it out and uh, contri- contribute uh, either financially or as a volunteer. If you've got some special uh, exactly. uh, talent that uh, you can share with the kids, uh, that would be marvelous too for these Gold Star kids, children for, and children of first responders. So, marvelous thing. 9.43 on a Saturday morning on a very special Bill and Allison Mancaro program today, our 9-11 program. And uh, as Bill mentioned, Earlier, when we were preparing for this show, we contacted our friends to for any special things that, that they remembered, what they were doing, that sort of thing. And one of our friends said um, he got to the office, which is near, very near the Capitol, and he said he said he uh, had his usual poker face on, but then he saw a woman crying in the elevator, and he said, "I," he, he said to me. I look confused, and she said, haven't you heard planes have hit both World Trade Towers? And he said, I instantly knew we were under attack. It wasn't just an accident, but we're going to war. Uh, His boss's corner office was on the eighth floor, which uh, looked southwest toward the Pentagon. And uh, our friend Monty said, we saw the smoke, and we knew it had been hit 20 minutes before it was on the news. And at the Capitol, uh, everyone evacuated. Um, a friend of ours worked at the White House. Uh, hit, the friend the, who was working at the White House said the Secret Service told them to get out and run away as fast as they could. And normally, if you've ever been around Secret Service agents, they are always calm no matter what. But um, this fellow who worked at the White House said Secret Service agents were totally freaking out. And our friend Monty said his friend, who was working in the White House, ran the fastest mile ever wearing wingtips. And the Capitol Hill police closed his building, which, as I said, was very near near the Capitol, and any other building that had underground parking. We saw the plane coming towards the building. Bank of America employee Ann Coster worked on the 81st floor of the North Tower. We saw the plane coming in and it banked. The hijacked 767 exploded upon impact. The building swayed, tiles fell off the floor, you know, the ceiling. Anne called her dad and her husband. Then she and co-worker Sue Conlon started down 80 flights of stairs. Together, they made it to the 44th floor. And she said that she wanted to rest. And I said, Susan, come on, we have to get down the stairs. I remember telling her to please come with me, and she didn't want to go. I remember getting out of the building and someone, you know, the gentleman I was with grabbing my hand and telling me that we had to run. They found her body on Christmas Day. Yeah, that was a woman named Ann Costa, who uh, I don't think any explanation is needed for that. Uh, But uh, there were a lot of stories like that on 9-11, particularly for those of you who uh, were not... uh, uh, old enough to remember, uh, there were a lot of stories like that. And that's one reason we're talking about it and playing because, uh, as I, I read a statistic, about 20% of people, uh, uh, are not old enough to remember nine 11. And, uh, so, uh, it's something that we all 
should be aware of. And uh, if you weren't there, it's, if it's just something that uh, only something you read about or heard about in history, uh, it's, uh, we're trying to make it much more real for you during the program. 9.47 is our time on Saturday morning. Well, I, I, I was going to say, um, our friend Monty said the weirdest part for him was the next day he was going about his regular routine, uh, except for going to the office. Uh, he was out walking the dog, but he realized how the world had totally changed. It was eerily quiet with no planes, and their house is very close to um, Washington Ray. Reagan National Airport, so so there's constantly you know plane noise uh, in the background, and he said it was eerily quiet with no planes, and he said, I don't think you realize the background noise until it's gone. Yeah, yeah, very strange, very strange. Nine forty eight on Saturday morning, and this is the Bill and Allison Mancaro show on Hill Country Patriot, and we're uh, glad you're joining us for this very special show on 9-11. And Allison is in charge. She's the captain of the ship here, and she's uh, running the board, so she's got to tell me when it's time to take a break. Just give me, give me the, the high sign, the break <laughs> sign, when, when, that has to, when it has to occur. This is uh, the one I tried to play earlier. Mike Barbagallo, who's a photographer, and he was uh, on, at ground, you will hear, uh, in New York City on 9-11 on Ground Zero. I still clearly remember that morning, um, which was a beautiful morning, uh, September in New York. We were set up to do a fun um, morning shift live shot um, from a firehouse. It was a chilly cook-off. A few hours later, we find out that all the firefighters that we worked with that day died um, after the buildings came down. We look up and uh, up in the sky, above Wall Street, uh, thousands of pieces of paper they looked like confetti and there was no explanation for it we had no idea what was going on um, until we get a, a radio call from another colleague of mine saying that he's been hearing radio reports of, of a plane hitting the uh, one of the towers there was a gash on the side of this building and I see some fire and some smoke trailing out of it everything turned a lot um, worse in, in my mind when, when I started seeing people jump, saw a person falling. It felt like a movie. Uh, it just didn't feel real. All of a sudden, um, I hear a, a, a whizzing sound above me. I had no idea where it was coming from. Um, and it was the sound of a jet airliner. Sure enough, it's... Uh, the second plane going into the second tower. That plane went right into the tower, right in front of me. Um, in my mind, I, I just tried to process what I'd just seen, the explosion over, over my head, holding that shot for what seemed like an eternity, but looking back, it was just a few seconds. And then knowing I'm right below it, I, I quickly run into the lobby of a hotel and I see two men running out to help an older man. They grab him, they bring him over to where we are. Within those 20 seconds, I saw the worst of man and the best of man. At that point, it was just, you know, trying to survive, trying to, trying to do my work, but also 
try not to be in harm's way. It's never easy for me to to speak on camera about it. And just the, the sheer horrors of, of that morning. It taught me how life can change, change instantly. And, uh, you know, to uh, to really take advantage of, of uh, you know, your time here. Um, enjoy the, the good things because you never know when something like this can happen. We are back, Bill and Allison and Carol program. We're glad to have you with us on a uh, commemoration show for uh, 9-11. Yeah, we're at hillcountrypatriot.com, 104.3 FM in Kerrville, 102.1. Fredericksburg and Stonewall. Fredericksburg and Stonewall. And we're talking about uh, things that you won't hear anywhere else because there are friends who are uh, in, uh, at, um, some, in some cases ground zero, in other cases very near. Uh, mostly in Washington, D.C., uh, and uh, we, well, Allison, you've got a story, don't you? <laughs> Sorry, somebody just tried to walk into our studio. We have no idea what's going on here. Um, yeah, our, our friend John told us that... Um, Allison said if she started tearing up that I should uh, <laughs> that I should talk about it. America came together, he said, in an amazing display of patriotism. Flags were everywhere, on every house, on cars. That night they went to their favorite Chinese restaurant uh, where they lived, and the Chinese owner uh, and the bartender, he was the bartender, instead of using the usual little plastic swords to skewer the fruit in the Mai Tai drinks and other drinks, he used American flags, little American flags. So Americans were united. And and we were, as I said, we were in D.C. just one month later, and we saw all those flags. It was very, very moving. As as our friend John said, Americans were united on 9-11. And uh, pray to the Lord that we have that unity again that we that we had at one time. Well, we're Bill and Allison Mancaro. We're glad you joined us on this very special, special day, 9-11, the 20th anniversary. Remember Proverbs 3, we bookend our show with the verse, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will direct your paths. And we close the show with, uh, with a cut to, from uh, President Trump uh, that we opened the show with. Uh, but again, it's, uh, it's a very moving, and uh, he, he issued this yesterday on commemoration of the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And, and part of the clip was, was actually on 9-11. We grieve together for every mother and father, sister and brother, son and daughter who was stolen from us at the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and here in this Pennsylvania field. We honor their sacrifice by pledging to never flinch in the face of evil and to do whatever it takes to keep America safe. In the wake of the September 11th attacks, courageous Americans raced into smoke, fire, and debris in lower Manhattan 
Pentagon and a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The whole world witnessed the might and resilience of our nation in the extraordinary men and women of the New York Fire Department and the New York Police Department. Earlier this year, we fully reauthorized the Victims' Compensation Fund to the tune of billions and billions of dollars. When the World Trade Center came down, I saw something that no place on Earth could have handled more beautifully, more humanely than New York. And the cleanup started the next day, and it was the most horrific cleanup probably in the history of doing this and in construction. I was down there, and I've never seen anything like it. I've seen two huge 110-story buildings that are reduced to rubble, thousands and thousands of lives. I just got to see something that I've never seen before. I have hundreds of men inside working right now, and we're bringing down another 125 in a little while, and they've never done work like this before. We come here in the knowledge that we cannot erase the pain or reverse the evil of that dark and wretched day. But we offer you all that we have, our unwavering loyalty, our undying devotion, and our eternal pledge that your loved ones will never, ever be forgotten.